In a time when conservative, liberal, progressive, language about political ideology seems to be breaking down, what's the future? How do we begin to reconceive of our common life together, our lived experiences that lead us forward? We'll be talking with Wick Allison, publisher of D Magazine, about just that. Stay tuned to Good God. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I'm pleased to welcome back to the program Wick Allison, the publisher of D Magazine. Wick, good to have you with us. Nice to be here. Thank you very much. So we, we were talking a great deal in uh, the, the first episode about the city of Dallas, and this is uh, very much your charge as uh, being uh, the, the publisher of a magazine that focuses on the good of the city. And, you know, just taking a step back uh, before we get into more details about that, there, there is an enormous shift that's happened, I think, uh, in the history of humankind toward cities. Uh, that is to say, uh, I, I think, uh, I'm not sure that all of our theology has caught up with that shift. That's an interesting point. Uh, I think we, we are an we are a th we still carry an agrarian theology in many ways. Uh, probably the most the most influential early uh, thinker about this in the last century was uh, a, a Jesuit priest uh, that was also a paleontologist, paleontologist, which is uh, Pierre uh, Teilhard de Chardin, right. who talked about how. Uh, everything is moving in an evolutionary manner toward a greater complexity. And that uh, cities are a reflection of that, I think. That we, we are moving toward a life together in which uh, we're getting closer, more complex, and, uh, and, and I think uh, he views that in a theological sense, a, a, a Christ-oriented sense, as moving toward a, a, a greater uh, complex unity in God. Uh, of course, but uh, but when we think about our theology, I still think uh, our, our political ideologies are often stuck in in, in these polarities. Uh, but we haven't developed a good theology of the city, I would say. Uh, and so I'm wondering, when you think about the role of the the faith community uh, in Dallas, and how you see it functioning as a, a faithful Catholic layman uh, who cares about the church and, and its, its life. What do you see the, the church's role and how it's playing that role? Well, I wanna, I wanna say, first of all, that it's such an interesting point about theology of cities that you've already got me kind of wondering things yeah. but as the as for the church's role I think the churches in Dallas um, have actually uh, well in general played a a really ameliorating and uh, I don't know the word for bridging mm -hmm. but bridging yeah. role uh, trying to connect its mostly affluent parishioners with the real needs and reminder of real needs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so call it social gospel right, stuff, right. which is a, <clears throat> I am a weird kind of traditionalist uh, 
Hindu Catholic. <laughs> traditionalist, comma, not traditionalist Hindu, but okay. traditionalist, comma, Hindu Catholic. So, I, 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 so I'm all... Um, That's confusing. Yes. Well, it is. It's very confusing to me. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'll just... The Catholic Church has always had a theology of the poor. Yes. And I've been lucky enough to be very deeply involved in an expression or manifestation of that theology called the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Yes. Its mission is to actually visit the poor in their homes mm -hmm. as a neighbor mm -hmm. and take care of their needs. This is the kind of thing the Catholic Church strongly encourages mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the bridging yes and the idea of being acting in the place of Christ mm -hmm. as his it's not only the pope who is the representative of Christ on earth I mean, all of us are yes uh, but i've been impressed to see churches uh what's the most affluent church in Dallas i'm going to guess it's Highland Park Methodist Church yes and I'm very impressed with the Methodist sense of outreach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you take a, a wealthy church like that and the many programs it mm -hmm. has established right. for different uh, unserved constituencies. Mm -hmm. uh, and the role it's played in connecting other Methodists mm -hmm. who are of a different color in a depressed area trying to connect and overcome this natural suspicion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That do to gooders cause and right. communities they try and serve, but to to bridge the gap by the commonality of being Methodist. Yes, <laughs> and uh, I'm just uh, sometimes in awe of all they do. So the churches definitely, and then what you've done with uh, churches have a. a, a a very important role as uh, honest brokers and mediators, and mm. but also in continuing to remove their parishioners from the cocoon of supposed uh, mm -hmm. stability. So I think nobody I think is really stable. Nobody <laughs> is stable, and, and that's you know that's. Part of the nature of the world God made and the way God made it is that faith is about trust in the midst of change, not trying to, to secure a, a world without change and where we don't need to trust in, in anyone. So the, uh, the AA saying is that because there's so much fear Mm -hmm. That just comes with being a human being, right? And the AA scene is the is that uh, the opposite of fear is love. Yeah, yeah, and perfect love casts out fear, uh, according to First John. So, um, but I, I think it's a, it's an interesting point that I would agree with that in the history of Dallas, uh, the religious community has done an exceptionally good job of of reminding Dallas and our parishioners, our congregants, uh, about the importance of the poor and, and making uh, charitable work a very important part of our, our city's life. The, the challenge for the religious community today is, uh, is, is moving from a charity consciousness to a public policy consciousness. 
uh, and seeing that those two things are not opposed to one another. That when, we are, when we're talking about charity, we're saying we care about, uh, about the, the poor and about, uh, about seeing that they, they have the life that they need. But when we're talking about public policy, what we're doing is simply extending that into uh, giving them the opportunity to flourish, not just uh, being sensitive to their most immediate needs. And so- you know, What a good point. And yeah. you know, while it's a very contentious on, uh, within the churches and on a national and mm-hmm. between different political groups on a mm-hmm. national basis, it's less contentious if we just all get, if the churches help us all get pointed in the same direction mm-hmm. on a civic city basis. Yes. And uh, I do think that that's a, it's, and it's, the churches can help in this way. I mean, I'm, I'm a media guy. So when I look at a problem like we have in the city that we yeah. previously discussed, uh, overall strategic problem, the first thing to me is to change the climate of opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously, number one, if I was ignorant about it, and I'm the publisher of D Magazine, if the incoming mayor is ignorant about it, right. and he's the incoming mayor, right. and uh, then there's a, a, a little consciousness raising that needs to take place. Mm-hmm. And to change the climate of opinion is to say, we can address this problem. The mm-hmm. solutions may seem surprising to you because we've never thought about them before, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. Those are actual solutions that other people have done and done it successfully in these 14 different places. And right. so we could think that way too. It's allowed. Right. The church is also, uh, so that's kind of the role D Magazine plays in, in changing the city. Just, and, you know, I, I play the activist political role, but that's not D Magazine. But the churches can come in with a critique of the, of the problem mm-hmm. just as well as. Magazine, yes, exactly, and the history of how it developed and Mm -hmm. an understanding of what the result has been. Mm -hmm. Yes, so and say that the goal of uh, you know, for here's just one change we just need to make, right? And as a city, and the churches could help lead this. The goal for a hundred years or more in Dallas has always been growth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are the most chamber of commerce of yes. all the chamber of commerce cities right. in America. Right. Growth, 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 growth. Let's just change that. Mm-hmm. What if our goal is not growth? Our goal is prosperity. Nice. Shared prosperity. Oh, right. Shared yes. prosperity. Exactly. And if our goal in looking at problems in South Dallas or elsewhere or mm-hmm. you know immigration or anything else is how does it add to our prosperity? Right. How is the common prosperity? We are a commonwealth. Yes. Right. Right. Um, how does it create prosperous neighborhoods? Yes. And how? So, if we just looked at thing in that framework, mm-hmm. we'd be moving a lot faster. Right. Than we are. Well, that that actually raises a question about, and and media plays a part in this. I think is. That the time in which we live uh, makes me sometimes question uh, whether it's still true that all politics is local. Uh, in that, in an age of social media, in an age uh, where information is uh, so readily accessible, and it, it feels like there's been a shift in the last uh, twenty or thirty years, 
where um, we we have a sense that our our opinions and our work is being much more influenced uh, by uh, a, a larger, wider world than it is by our lived experience on the ground in our local communities, rather than going the other direction. And I, I don't know if that bears itself out, but I do think that when we come down to the question of where we can have the most impact and influence, it certainly is in the flesh and blood relationships we have in the communities we are located in, rather than spending all of our time thinking in abstract notions of uh, globalism and, and the like. You know. Well, you're speaking like a true conservative. Well, in fact, I, uh, I uh, have, I'm on the board of a magazine called The American Conservative, yes. and that's mm -hmm. one of its uh, tenets, mm -hmm. is uh, localism is the driver of psychological satisfaction, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the sense of community and networks. Right. And with the phenomenon you were talking about with the new social media being dominant, that's certainly mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But where do people get what we need as human beings, which is the idea, A, of accomplishing something, right. of doing something worthwhile, right. and B, the sense of doing it with other people. Right, <laughs> exactly. Is, where does the joy of life come? It, it comes yeah, right. from the actual lived experience uh, that we have with one another, not with just ideas. Uh, right, that, that, I, ideas yeah. are worthless. Yeah. I might even say theology is worthless. Yeah. Well, uh, hmm. uh, it's the lived experience. Do right. I live with, we can right. just say the same thing, do I live with God? Right. Or, or actually, uh, even saying that is the wrong formulation because it puts God here. Mm -hmm. I'm, mm -hmm. I've just, that's one of the things wrong with the, with the, uh, the church. Mm -hmm. All church is mm -hmm. God's here mm -hmm. to be worshiped. Right. No, God, I, I've come, the reason I say I'm somewhat of a Hindu Catholic mm -hmm. is that God is, their Hindu tenet is God is to be experienced mm -hmm. and now in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's a unifying, we're one. Mm -hmm. It's not a dualist concept. Right, right. Uh, it's very hard because we are physically dualist. You're a different person than I am. Right, but to right. be non-dualist is where satisfaction comes. And the same thing, to be unified in your community. Um, I'm stretching an analogy here that I just made, but I'm going to go with it. Uh, what's out there, and those mm -hmm. ideas are out there, mm -hmm. and we get locked onto them right. because it helps us uh, form an identity. Mm -hmm. Father Richard Rohr is a, oh, yes. he's a wonderful yeah, fantastic. Franciscan. Yeah. He says, you know, during the first stage of life, we have to do that. We have to we have to create this carapace around mm -hmm. us so that we, our ego can develop. And I think, mm -hmm. but in the second stage of life, we got to break it apart. Right. And if we don't, we get frozen in place. Well, politics and religion and other isms uh, become the thing we use to build around us to protect us. Community, you can't do, you have to break it apart to serve in the community because the person that you're supposedly against is sitting right there with you. Right, right. And your kids go to the same school. Right, right. And you're, in fact, you know, you're staying next to him at the soccer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so 
you you are forced mm-hmm. to listen to that black preacher who may also be sitting at the table and telling you you're completely wet about what you're thinking because it's not the reality on the ground at all. Right. You're forced to do that. Right. And and that by itself broadens you and and opens you up to new experiences and keeps you young. And mm-hmm. Beautiful. You're exactly right, though, about national politics. Well, when we get back uh, after the break, I want to pursue this a little more in terms of the conservative progressive uh, question and where all of that stands now. So much of what we're talking about is what uh, the the organization that promotes Good God as its project, Faith Commons, uh, this nonprofit, is trying to do just that, is to, to, to talk about this lived experience where we embrace the diversity of our communities uh, and bring people together uh, to, to find understanding. So uh, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Society of St. Vincent de Paul offers emergency assistance to people in need, including financial help with rent or utilities, food and clothing. And every day in 38 communities throughout nine counties in North Texas, a thousand volunteers provide personal assistance along with caring, compassion, and hope. It's all about neighbors helping neighbors. We're back with Wick Allison. Wick, we were just talking about conservatism and some of the um, uh, some of the the concepts that are uh, endemic to conservatism that have to do with with embracing the lived experience of people and uh, and and how life uh, brings about greater joy by uh, actually uh, operating from the bottom up, so to speak, instead of abstract ideals uh, that we live into, which tends to be a, a, a more progressive notion. So Ed, Edmund Burke, I well, think probably- good. Historically, but yes. please go back to Edmund Burke. Oh, well, yes. let's go back to Edmund yeah, Burke. Okay. So yes, so this is part of his critique, of course, I think, of, uh, of the French Revolution uh, and you know the um, uh, liberty, equality, fraternity sort of thing and the, the ideals that we're going to live into, but we're going to actually off their heads uh, and everything traditional and, and, and start the world over again. And so this is part of the critique of a sort of progressive liberalism, I suppose, and counting myself more in that, uh, in, in that world because coming out of a Baptist uh, kind of setting that has always been so much more conservative and traditional, I see the need for us to envision the world that God had uh, intended and live into it. And that's not always just trying to keep the world we have. But I think the failure of progressives to understand true conservatism is that conservatives are not against change per se. What they're against is uh, is willy-nilly change, you might say. that. Um, that Eben Burke wanted to say test these things before you you know go wholesale into them and uh, and and that you know change should come out of again out of the lived experience of people and 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 whatnot. So where are you about that today? Well, I think uh, and, uh, you're confusing a lot of your audience or a lot of people who uh, read you know who watch television and these conservatives are mm-hmm. on air. Mm-hmm. And that's what conservatism is. Right. Actually, they're not conservative at all. Okay. They are right-wing ideologues right. Mm-hmm. who are totally opposed to left-wing 
ideologues <laughs> who are totally opposed to right-wing ideologues. So we're back and forth. So let's let the ideologues yeah. right. have their mm -hmm. fun time. The conservatism, Burkean conservatism, the kind mm -hmm. of conservatism, the magazine I support, the American conservative right. is deeply involved with intellectually, uh, is very much what you say. It gets mm -hmm. all abstractions. Mm -hmm. uh, the organic experience, what you call the lived experience, mm -hmm. is to be respected. Right. Uh, and the organic experience is not the present moment necessarily. Mm -hmm. Chesterton said democracy is the, uh, well, tradition is the democracy of the dead. Right. Gives a vote to the dead. Yeah. Right. right. And right. so uh, over the ages, certain prescriptive norms have been the more successful norms. Right. They're not, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether they came down on tablets. Mm -hmm. In fact, forget they ever did. Mm -hmm. It's just, this is the way if society operates this way, we've learned over mm -hmm. a million years, then, mm -hmm. then we should respect it. We, we, we should, should respect it's healthy. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in other words, simply, don't tear down a wall until you know why it was built. Right, right. There's no, uh, I, both, both, idea, both, series, uh, both kinds of ideologues in the United States are tearing down and building walls without really right. understanding anything right. about the facts or the organic mm -hmm. experience that mm -hmm. led or didn't lead to those. Right. So I, I, uh, I think it, it, it's, uh, you know, George Will, by the way, who <laughs> the, leading, as you know, conservative mm -hmm. intellectual in America today, advised to vote the straight democratic ticket. Yes. Now that's mm -hmm. true conservatism. <laughs> Bring balance back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that bewildered the talking head conservatives. Sure, sure. Um, who have no understanding of where, what they're talking about comes from and what of it is made up. Right. So, well, this is this is actually interesting to track with you personally because having been uh, worked for Bill Buckley and uh, and been a Buckley conservative and and National Review and American Conservative now and all these sorts of things, you famously came out uh, to support Barack Obama's uh, uh, election. Um, because then, he, he was the more conservative candidate. This is actually the thing I wanted to pursue. I think most people do not understand that that's true. They, uh, they assumed that Barack Obama uh, was simply trying to remake the world and, uh, it, and disavow all social norms and these sorts of things. And, and, and we have a, you know, a populist reaction against that today. But is it really against that or is it against the perceptions of what it felt like uh, to uh, to have experienced the, the, those last eight years, so you made that decision, and, and you know nobody's perfect, and you became disillusioned for a time with that, I think, as well. And uh, oh, with Barack and, Obama, with, with Barack Obama. Well, it's because of uh, yeah. Libya, Libya, and, okay. and the continuation. Uh, uh, he 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 was basically restrained, but then. He sent troops into Afghanistan, and right. then he did Libya. In other right. words, he fell into the trap that non-military people, people with mm -hmm. no military experience have, mm -hmm. of believing the military. Yeah. <laughs> people with military experience yeah. don't pay any attention to what generals say. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so where we are today, obviously in the age of Trump, is a um, is is now seemingly a non-ideological uh, political age. Well, that's actually it's refreshing that way. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's actually refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. It is. Right. The, the the conventions of ideology are being um, kind of blown up. The, the safety of just having a set of ideas, you don't have to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Trump has blown it up. Give him credit for that. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's give him, let's give him credit. As long as, you know, yeah. Yeah. Just, just hope the uh, tea house is still standing when the, when the bull finally gets out the door. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so, so let's talk about what happens and, and anticipate a kind of post-Trump America where, where we, we have, um, you know, we, we have been in this um, upheaval of political ideologies and uh, this, uh, this sense that we don't really know where we are any longer. Is it, is it about rethinking all of that now going forward, do you think? Um, I, I'm old enough to recall when no reform could take place because the FDR Democrats were in their 60s and 70s and 80s, mm. and a uh, scholaric system, a system that whose arteries were completely frozen mm -hmm. after being in the norm for 50 years, and become completely bureaucratized and mm. become ineffective, that no new approaches could happen on poverty, no new approaches right. could happen on mm -hmm. re recreating or bettering the society because those people were gonna vote for the Democrat no matter what. Right, and the right. Democrat chairman of Congress knew that. Mm -hmm. That upheaval ended with, of all people, Newt Gingrich. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I was all for it. Mm -hmm. Well, we're in a slightly different but similar situation. We have these Republican voters who are in now in their 60s and 70s right. and 80s, mm -hmm. uh, the, the true believers of Fox News. Mm -hmm. You can't have a discussion about anything because the law is the law. It's right, right. certainty. Uh, um, I don't know what happens in old age, but it's happened on both sides, so it's fairly evenly divided. Right. It just, um, and certain topics can't even be discussed. Uh, you know, Darwin said that progress comes one funeral at a time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, and I know from personal experience, having to battle bureaucracies and, mm -hmm. but, um, that's just true. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so right now we're in a, in a, in a fourth turning from the post-war period, mm -hmm. generationally. Mm -hmm. uh, people uh, deride the millennials. Well, the, uh, the old always deride the young. Mm -hmm. I found the millennials I have lots of millennials who work for me. I, mm -hmm. and, uh, dealing with, uh, when you talk to activists, you know, when you want to gather activists, which we have for on behalf of the city, they're almost all millennials. Mm -hmm. uh, I found millennials to be a uh, absolute, wonderful, well-educated, thoughtful, uh, committed generation. 
I, I am so impressed with millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happily tur- saying, let's turn it all over to these people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they're gonna, their approach is completely different, and they're not locked into any... Uh, of course, we're always talking generally when we're talking about mm-hmm. a generation. The problem is they're not, they're not locked into any belief systems, mm-hmm. but they do have a forward sense as, mm-hmm. in, as a massive generation, which is the largest generation in history would naturally have of, right. of how are we going to remake the world? How am I right. going to make my place in the world? But it's, it's nothing like what anybody has seen before. Let me just give you one example. A Goldman Sachs study said of their relationship with cars. Mm-hmm. A Goldman Sachs study of are you definitely going to, do, do you own a car? Are you, or if you don't, do you definitely going to buy a car mm-hmm. or lease or whatever a car? Are you not going to have a car? Largest generation in human history, 15% said they were definitely going to buy a car. Wow. 15%. 15. And, and the car manufacturers have taken note of that. Oh, ver- yes. A- absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So this is, this is why they're investing in you know, all sorts of rideshare programs and... and, and, and but uh, but see what know, a, yes. uh, when you're talking about a turning, you're talking about a complete yeah. turning. Right, right. My generation, our mm-hmm. generation, at 15 and a half, you were standing in the line at the... Couldn't wait to drive. Absolutely. Absolutely so right. think about that in terms of churches, Think right. about in terms of civic affairs, national political affairs. Right. right. Uh, Trump happened at the if you if you if I were a practicing, firmly committed Republican, which I once was, mm-hmm. Trump has happened at the exact wrong time mm. as an entire generation enters right. into political consciousness. Right. And the his ratings, and mm. the ratings of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. are so dismal as to be infinitesimal. It, it feels like the death rattle, doesn't it? it, it uh, so yeah. they'll get changes a little bit as they get older and for particular candidates and mm-hmm. for particular causes they get involved in, and that's all going to happen naturally. But this is no place to start. Right. right. And so when you talk about this turning, you, just, you mm-hmm. can see right. the effect of these people going into their 40s to the top of their professions and... Mm-hmm. Uh, the top of the political structure. We have a Harris County elected a 27-year-old Colombian as their new county judge. Mm-hmm. This is hitting now. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, I, I think it was Oscar Romero, the martyred uh, Salvadoran um, archbishop, who said something to the effect of, uh, nothing that's worth doing can be completed in our lifetime. Uh, oh, that, yeah, that's so interesting. You know, that, that really, we, we are in this world for the period of time that God gives us. We make our contribution, and we offer it to the world and to God as an act of uh, hope and uh, an offering, a sacrifice to God. And thank you for the sacrifices and offerings you've made, Wick. And I know that the city's better because of you, and uh, pray that we live out of that inspiration ourselves. So thanks for being with us. My pleasure entirely. Terrific. Great. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason. Produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. 
Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. The Society of St. Vincent de Paul offers emergency assistance to people in need, including financial help with rent or utilities, food and clothing. And every day in 38 communities throughout nine counties in North Texas, a thousand volunteers provide personal assistance along with caring, compassion, and hope. It's all about neighbors helping neighbors.